0: From Local 12 Sports, it's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner at Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. Uh, We'll probably have a gambling segment this week to pick the AFC and NFC championship games. And a segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to the Twitterverse, the Xverse, hit up the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. It can be a question on any topic. It does not necessarily have to be about sports, and we will answer whatever you have to ask. We are neck deep in college basketball. Uh, The NFC and AFC championship games we mentioned are, are about to take place. Of course, the Bengals are in search of an offensive coordinator, and we'll see what direction that goes. as Brian Callahan takes the job with the Tennessee Titans. The head coaching job became official literally just before this podcast started. So uh, it'd been reported a couple of days ago, but finally official as of this Wednesday morning. So we got a lot to get to, Rick.
0: We do. Weirdly, a lot of Bengals news to talk about here on the 24th of January, but that's the way the uh, sports news cycle has gone this week. But we'll start with college basketball. Normally I like to start with who's doing well, the, the good, but <laughs> there wasn't a lot of good with the local teams over the last few days. So let's start with Kentucky skinny, because I think they're the most interesting storyline to me right now. They beat Georgia one Oh five 96 on Saturday. And then they were embarrassed 79 62 at South Carolina on Tuesday. They had moved up to number six in the latest AP poll before the South Carolina loss. We've got big Z's debut on Saturday, which was incredible. Um, Let's let's start with Saturday first, because I think it was mostly good on Saturday. They give up 61 points in the second half, which I think was concerning, uh, especially with the way this defense has struggled all year. But you win the game, you score over 100 points, and Big Z was so fun to watch that I don't think anyone really cared about the 61 points that they gave up in the second half.
1: Yeah, no. The, the whole story was was him. You know, I was I was coaching a game that night, and and our game hadn't started. The JV game was going on, and uh, the buzz among uh, a lot of the kids, the varsity kids in the stands, and uh, the coaches were sitting there watching. Was you know we're looking at our phones and and seeing him drop the three threes in the first half, and I can only imagine what the what the buzz was like in Rupp Arena that night. And it looked like, oh my gosh, this 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 uh, elite offensive team has now just added a seven foot two three point shooter to add to the mix, and oh my god, how are they going to be stopped? And then we'll find out. We found that out on on Tuesday night at South Carolina. But yeah, Saturday night, I think for a lot of people, the the end result was great because you want to win if you're a Kentucky fan. But it was more about what he did and and how impressive he was and the fact that he finally became eligible.
0: Yeah, Skinny. So you watch this seven foot two player who's moving fluidly. He's catching the ball in transition and throwing a behind the back assist into the corner for a three. He's knocking down threes himself. Uh, Was this a little bit of a, a mirage, a little bit of beginner's luck? Or was, is this a a guy who is going to completely change this UK team here?
1: I I don't think he will, but I I think it does add another weapon. Although, you know, he didn't do much on Tuesday night. So maybe it was just beginner's luck and the adrenaline flowing and the chance to finally play. But, you know, he came with a lot of hype and he certainly backed that up in the first few minutes of him playing on, on Saturday. And then you wonder, okay, you know, was Tuesday kind of a, a comeback to earth? Is that, Was it just the, you know, him getting caught up in the team? He didn't get a a whole ton of minutes, didn't get very many shots up either. Uh, And and also trying to get him ingrained. It's fun to get him ingrained when you're up 53-34 at the half as they were on Saturday. It's a little bit harder when you're struggling to score like they were at South Carolina.
0: Well, that's the thing that I keep looking at is just trying to implement a player into your lineup. A new player who hasn't played with you at all yet this year. I realize he's been practicing, but it's different to get practice reps and a lot of times i'm sure he's running scout team because he's not actually available um and to be actually in the mix and you're trying to find him a a a spot to check in into the rotation and you're down on the road against an sec opponent that's going to be really difficult to do much less make him feel comfortable while you're doing that and get him into the flow uh he did come in with a lot of hype but i also felt like they were really trying to downplay That hype as we were getting closer to the chance that he might actually see the floor. You heard Cal Perry talking a lot about he'll play, but I'm not sure how much we'll play him. It might only be five minutes. Obviously, he played more than that in his debut. But yeah, I mean, I was I was really impressed by the debut, but I would say I'm still a little bit skeptical of how this whole thing is going to work out with the three seven footers and and trying to get him into the mix as much as you can.
1: Well, as much as he likes to use an eight-man rotation, I mean, that's a ninth guy that's taking minutes away from other people. Uh, you know, is going to have to be put in the mix at some point, you know, as a defensive specialist, but he's going to be in the rotation at some point. Is he really going to go 10 deep the deeper he goes into the season and into March? And if so, what does that do for other guys' minutes that have been pretty effective in the role they're currently in?
0: Yeah, well, and uh, is an interesting case. I wanted to bring him up because on Tuesday – I thought Cal made kind of an interesting comment. He said, Adu is still out. He's not going to play at South Carolina, but quote, watching him. I'm not sure why he isn't playing. Uh, was that just like, Cal well, trying to tell us that he actually does look pretty healthy and he should be back soon. Or is he like saying that adu is sitting out when he shouldn't be. I thought that well, was a strange comment. I,
1: I take it as that because the, the injury has been general soreness. And yeah. I can, I can buy that for a game, right? I mean, you, you get banged and bumped around, you know, maybe you are. You're just too sore to get moving for a game. But this has lingered for what now, three weeks?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going on like a month of general soreness keeping arrow out of the lineup. Uh, you, I mean, I hate to be, you know, skeptical here, but, like, you have to start wondering if something else is going on. Right. And then this comment from John Calipari just adds to that, in my opinion. But in terms of this game against South Carolina, Kentucky was a team that came in averaging over 90 points per game, Skinny. They're the most impressive offense in the country. They scored just 62. How much should we be worried about that?
1: Uh, I think it's an outlier. The the offense, the defense is still not an outlier, but the offense, that was just an outlier to me. You had a bunch of guys who make shots, miss shots on the road. Um, That unfortunately happens in conference play. Um, They didn't rebound it great, which then, of course, they can't get out and transition when they don't rebound it. Um, so, yeah, to me, I, I'm going to take this just as a, as an outlier on the road. It is a little concerning that they played three road games and they had a nail-biter at Florida, lost the overtime at A&M, now have lost this one, and you have to wonder, and it's the old adage, defense travels, sometimes offense doesn't, and maybe that's an issue for this team is going to be in every SEC road game, that if they don't score into the 80s, they're going to have a hard time winning games in the league.
0: Well, yeah, That the first question is, is – just trying to score on the road a real problem for this team are they going to have issues every time they're not playing in front of the home crowd at Rupp arena scoring and the second is re- regardless of whether that's going to be an issue in games for you can you find another way to win when right. the shots aren't going down and we were thinking maybe we had seen a little bit of that last week but uh, clearly they haven't figured that out entirely yet so that's kind of where my mind's at with this UK team as we get deeper into SEC play. Did you have any other thoughts on Kentucky?
1: Yeah. The only other thing is, is for whatever reason, South Carolina has John Calipari's number in Columbia. Uh, um, you know, that's been kind of a house of horrors. Um, but it is, I, I think the, the part that gives you a little bit of pause again is three road games in the league and you could easily be 0 and 3. You could also throw it back in my face that they could have won at A&M and could easily be two and one. I understand that, but um, you know they they just have not found a way to be consistent on offense on the road, and we just know that defensively they're not going to be there. It's funny, you know, South Carolina's done a pretty good job of holding teams in check scoring wise, but I did look at their Ken Palm defense. It's only like 50th in the country. It's not awful, but it wasn't as elite as I I kind of thought it was because I know that was kind of a, a thing going into the game of hey, South Carolina's really good defensively, and you know maybe they are, maybe they they exceed their Ken Palm number. I don't know.
0: No, it's what it's because broadcasters, broadcasters look at total points scored and right. then they make their decision about whether you're good defensively or not. South Carolina isn't great defensively. They just played a really slow pace on offense. Correct. So they keep the score down for both yep. teams. So they're good defensively, but they're not elite by any stretch of the imagination. And that's, that's the issue we have with the old uh, counting statistics merging with the new Ken Palm world. Yes. And sometimes broadcasters don't get that Um skinny Cincinnati. They lost to number 11, Oklahoma at home, 69-65 on Saturday. Then they lost at number seven, Kansas on Monday, 74-69. Two more hard-fought losses for this Bearcats team where felt that they played pretty well, just didn't have enough to come out with a win. We talked a lot about this opening six-game stretch of Big 12 play for UC, where they all six of those games were against ranked opponents at the time. Two of those opponents are no longer ranked. But now that we're, we're past that, and they finished 2 and 4 during that stretch. All four losses were close games. Really all the games were close except for their blowout win at BYU which was a bit of a surprise. Are you encouraged, discouraged or unmoved by UC's 2 and 4 start to Big 12 play?
1: I'd say encouraged because it's it's funny. If you look at just some go inside some of the numbers of these games, in theory they should be getting blown out on these road games. I mean they really should be. Um, And instead, they find enough grit to hang around and and play tough, and and stay close, and fight back from deficits, and all of those things. I think that's the encouraging part. But I hope it's not fool's gold that that listen, they do all these things to play hard and stay close, but they can't find ways to win. And uh, I said this on on a podcast I was on yesterday. You know the cumulative toll that that can take on you, right? That you keep grinding and grinding, and yet the grind doesn't produce the end result, which is supposed to be a W and you need it to be a W and it's not at what point is it just the grind get to you? Um, because you're going to keep looking up every week and going, well, this is a hell of a week. <laughs> look at this week. Oh my God. Look at this week. Um, and and I, I just think the grind of that, and I, I bring that to a lot of times in, 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 really good college football leagues, right. Where it's not, you know, it's not that you can't beat a good, really good team um, early in your career It's the grind of it. It's, it's facing Florida. And then, uh, Alabama and then LSU and then a road game at Georgia. I mean, it's just the cumulative effect of all of that that it takes. And that's, that would be the thing that scares me a little bit about you see the, the flip side is again, look inside the numbers. There's some ugly numbers in there and yet they're in these games and it feels like it's fixable things.
0: That I think you nailed that. Uh, that is exactly how I felt after these two games for Cincinnati, that, I mean, going back to the Kansas game, I didn't really think they played well at all in that game. And yet, I didn't either. You're coming out of the final media timeout with a real chance to win it. Not like a, we're trying to make a comeback and make a run at them and, and make this thing respectable. No, they had a real shot to win that game, and it felt like they might win that game coming out of the final media timeout. And again, I did not think that they played well throughout that game. They had turnovers that were... I don't know if uncharacteristic at this point because they seem to be happening right. a little bit too often, but uh, turnovers that probably shouldn't happen or are unforced. You've got, now they did make some free throws in that game. Finally, they've had the free throw issue that the right. fans have been losing their minds about. But they, were, they practiced, they
1: practiced extra on Sunday. I was told
0: while they retired. Yeah. They retired, it worked yeah. Yes. out effectively yes. for them. But um, I think the biggest thing for me is seeing them in big 12 play. And this is where it was hard to figure out in non-conference play when they weren't playing good teams this this group is long and athletic and they are tough and they look like a west miller team this is what he did at unc greensboro he had longer better athletes than you did he would press you a little bit get up in you defensively and And i said earlier this year that i i really thought this uc team had a chance to be a great defensive group and that's where they were going to hang their hat that wasn't the case through the non-conference schedule but as we've gotten into big 12 play they actually are one of the better defensive teams in conference play so far and i think you're starting to see them look like the type of team West wants to be. My my concern for them is the same concern you've brought up since day one of this season. They need more offensive firepower. And, and they're actually getting, getting yeah, they're actually getting multiple guys scoring on any given the, night.
1: That's the problem because it, it,
0: it's a different guy
1: each time. And as a coach, um, I, I think that's hard to, to rely on. Like, hey, I want to play this guy, and okay, he's missed a couple of shots. Is it a night where he's gonna bounce back from that, or is it a night where I just got to go elsewhere for, for, for that. And I think that's been the big issue is who can carry the load for an eight minute stretch of a game? And I'm not talking scoring 18 points in that eight minute stretch, but but come down and, and, and carry you for eight minutes and get you 10, 12, and maybe create another two or three buckets. And I just don't know who that guy is, if they even have that guy.
0: I think that's the issue. They just lack that true alpha on the offensive end. Like, honestly, a David or Julius or a Landers Nolly on this team yes. would probably really help them. A guy who is just willing to say, I'm willing to be that guy all the time, regardless of whether the shots are going in or not. The issue they have right now is I think Dan Skillings is the closest to being that clearly, guy. Clearly. And and he is just not there yet in terms of his development. He's still so raw with his decision-making and his feel for the game and his IQ that he just isn't always reliable. And the other guy that's probably closest to being that guy is CMOS Lukosius, and he's just so inconsistent with his shot and, and most of his game is spot-up shooting that it just doesn't really seem like they have that reliable go-to offensive player. And, and if they did, I mean, they might be a real handful this year.
1: And that's where I go back to, I know everybody was over the, over the moon about getting the two bigs transfers, but I, I wasn't, I thought they'd help. But the problem is, Bandago gives you nothing on offense, and Reynolds gives you next to nothing on defense. If you could combine the two, be if you could go back to the old Iowa high school girls' days where you played three on three, like there were three offensive players on one end of the court, and then there was three defensive players on the other end. If you could do that, put Bandago in one spot and Reynolds on the other, maybe they can petition the NCAA for that. Um, uh, you know, you'd have yourself something there. But unfortunately, you don't, and that I think that becomes tough too. Is you want defense, but at some point you also want to go, well, I want to throw it in the post and get a bucket. I want to get something easy, and they just can't.
0: Should we get an old man's six-on-six league yes. goal where you play three-play defense, three-play offense?
1: Absolutely.
0: That would be fantastic. And and uh, you just rotate a little bit maybe, but the, imagine the outlet passes in oh, that league. I would be like less unselled in an over-40 league like that. That would be great. We should look into that. No, but yeah, I I I think you're dead on with, with your takes on, on Cincinnati right now. And and the, the big guys, skinny watching them. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to take shots at these college players, but let's face it, they're both making a whole heck of a lot more money than we are this year to play for UC. So I, I feel a little bit better saying this. That's a bad investment. I'm just spending over half a million dollars for those two guys through NIL money, like those two guys are not producing the way they were paid to produce this year at UC. And uh, I mean, if they were, this team might be downright scary if Aziz Bandega was as good as everyone thought he was going to be.
1: Here would be my question then, I guess. Would you consider, if you're Wes Miller, I don't think this is possible because this goes back to the Victor Locken of last year playing the five spot, getting in consistent foul trouble. But are you better off with a lineup that has both point guards and skillings, Lacocious, Locken, um, or Newman, um, Newman, Locosha, Skillings, one of the point guards locking. Are you better with that group? And then Bandego, just when you know, for, for sub's sake and, and, you know, maybe you're looking to get a couple key defensive stops, he plays then?
0: I think we've seen the two point guards playing together a little bit more. So I do think that's going to continue. The problem with it is if you lean all into the offensive side and you try to go with your best offensive lineup that you just laid out, now I don't think you're good on either end of the floor. Like, they're pretty good defensively when they have their most athletic. I'm not athletic so sure I wouldn't want to see.
1: There. I'm sorry, right? I mean, I'm not so sure I wouldn't want to see if that that group couldn't play some defense, though.
0: I just think we've seen enough of Victor Lock in defending Big 12
1: yeah.
0: caliber fives to know that that's probably not going to work out consistently well. And in general, I think you just lose some of your overall length and athleticism with that lineup. And that's where I think they are hanging in these big 12 games is yeah, they weren't a part man. of a big 12 team. They are big, tough, athletic, more, way hard. more,
1: way more so than I thought. I mean, I, I really thought, listen, you got to have an NBA player or two to, to, to really win high at the big 12 level. And I don't feel like there's an NBA guy on this team at the moment. Now jizzle Agreed. could be one day, but not at the moment. And then, you know, you're taking your two best scorers off into Julius and, and Nolly. And that's where I kind of stood for this year of you're taking those two guys who were legit college scorers off this team. And you really, you've upgraded the talent some, but not to the level I thought that that would compete in the big 12 and yet they've competed, but competing, I think we're over. I think you get to a point where, okay, it's cute. It's fun. It's, it's, it's been cool. The atmosphere in fifth third for you, UC fans has been off the charts. Great. And this, the competition level is much more fun to watch, much more enjoyable. You're, you're on, there's no really primetime game anymore in, in college basketball, right? But still that nine o'clock Monday slot still holds some, some weight in gold to me. It's still a big time game that, that that's on. And that's, that's where you are now. But Again, you look up this week, and it's almost a must-win home game against UCF if you still feel like this team can make the NCAA tournament. I don't think it can. I don't think it's going to get enough wins to do that. But now suddenly you are in game seven. It must-win territory because then it's two more road games after that. And then, oh, by the way, then you fall out of that and get Houston coming to your place.
0: That's where I think you're talking about the – like coming up short, getting close, but losing the game still can get old. I think that's where it starts to set in is if you're not able to win the UCF game on Saturday and you you continue this stretch of coming up short. I think it starts to really set in after this next few games because the the first six we knew were going to be so difficult. But now there is a little bit of a reprieve in the schedule, not to say it's easy. These are still good teams, but they're not, you know, all top 20, top 25 teams that you're going to be facing. So they got to find a win. They'll play at uh, they'll host UCF on Saturday at 7 p.m. I didn't mention with UK, they'll play at Arkansas at on Arkansas, Saturday. Yeah. At 6.
1: So back to Kentucky, for are saying we're going to find out about this road thing, because I think once you get to that four game sample size, we're going to know if this is going to be an ongoing problem for them scoring on the road and winning on the road in the league.
0: Yeah. So that was Kentucky and Cincinnati. We'll move on to Xavier, which by the way, you're talking about UC playing in the big 12 and how this is cool. How much fun is local college hoops right now? I mean, we watch UC can at Kansas on Monday night. And then the next night we're watching Xavier at Creighton who is ranked and, and playing pretty well and a fun game. I mean, college basketball in this area is just great right now to watch. And I, I, it's what I've kind of always pictured is like both of those teams being in a high major conference at the same time. And it's funny. It's like UC was in the big East. Xavier was in the a 10 then Xavier gets in the big East and UC goes to like a worse version of the a 10 and the American. And it was, it was just strange. Now they're both in a high major conference and it has been great. Uh, Xavier beat Georgetown 92, 91 on Friday at Cintas. Then they lost 85, 78 at number 17 Creighton on Tuesday night. Um, skinny Desmond Claude, he was great, great for three and a half games for Xavier over the last three and a half. And then the second half of this one against Creighton, he went zero for eight from the field. I mean, he just could not make a shot and it felt very similar to those games a few weeks ago when we were talking about him. And you're asking me like, does, does Claude need to be better for Xavier to win? And it's like, he probably does, but he might be giving you all he can give you. Well, he took his offensive game to another level. He started making shots for three games there, three and a half games, really, because he was great in the first half at Creighton. Uh, had 18 points by halftime, but then only mustered two in the second half and was 0 for 8. Uh, wh- where are you at on Desmond Claude and the Savior offense right now?
1: Well, I wonder this. So I was at the uh, the Georgetown game with a friend of mine. In the second half, it felt like he, he got blown by. Anytime Georgetown wanted to blow by him, they blew by him. And and I wonder in that game and then watching this game and what he did on the offensive end, if he just doesn't run out of gas, because again, he's asked to do so damn much that second half, it just takes its toll. I don't think people, that's one thing I don't think people really quite can grasp is is the fatigue factor for these guys. You just feel like they're robots and they're the same player in minute one as they are in minute 35 of a game. And they're just not, I mean, you know, and some guys, some guys do coast on one end of the floor and then maybe they are fresher. I don't think that's Desmond Claude's DNA. I mean, Rick, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but that Georgetown game, I swear to God, it felt like anytime they wanted to blow by him in the second half, they just blew right by him right to the rim and went right to the rim. Um, You know, some of it was off ball screens and they didn't do a very good job in that, but some of it was just him getting blown by and, after watching that and and you know knowing that he can be an elite defender and then watching last night i just wonder if he just isn't asked to do so much that when the game is on the line he just spent
0: yeah really skinny i think that's a good point because very much so in the second half of the Creighton game, it felt like he just ran out of gas. The physicality of Shireman was all of a sudden affecting him. It didn't yep. at all in the first half. And the second half, it felt like, you know, his legs looked like they weighed a hundred pounds each. And every time he got bumped, it like really knocked him off his spot. And he just couldn't finish through any of it, all of that stuff. And that's not who he typically is. But to, to your point, I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot of times is most times, if you have a great offensive player in college, he is not going to be guarding the other team's best player, too, right? Because you need him offensively, and it yeah, really- you don't need him in foul trouble, right? And you don't want him in foul trouble, of course. So with Xavier this year, that isn't really the case. Oftentimes, Desmond Claude has to guard the opposing team's best player, and that might be a point guard, that might be a forward this year just the way his versatility is and the way Xavier struggles defensively he usually has to take on that matchup so you might say well everybody's playing defense how much harder is it well there's a difference between guarding the fourth or fifth option on a team who's absolutely mostly out there standing in a corner or setting up and being a decoy versus guarding the other team's best player who's running off of several screens every possession and getting all types of set plays for him taking triple handoffs and you've got to constantly be chasing him getting banged into by these screeners all that type of stuff it does. The screeners aren't very small either. No, they're not. Not in the Big East, especially, and the, it does take its toll on you, skinny. So I think that's a legitimate case uh, or a legitimate theory for why Desmond Claude has had some issues both on defense and offense in the second half of some of these games. But I don't know that that helps Xavier much at this point because well, they they need him to be really good. Unfortunately,
1: they do. But but I do wonder if if Sean takes a look and and the way Swain is starting to play a little bit, I think you can you can't count on him to be as but he's, Tell you what, he's becoming a pretty good slasher, man. And I, I think he's becoming a legit a legit option, if you will. And then maybe a little more Trey Green just to take a few more minutes off of, of, of Dez. And maybe it's in the first half and you go, hey, I, I've got to sit in for this three-minute stretch. Um, and then maybe it's a TV timeout and then maybe for another minute after the TV. And I get a good four minutes, five minutes. Maybe it's not that long. You know what I'm saying? Whatever that time frame is you want to use and yeah maybe maybe we lose by two points in that little war but in the overall scheme I'm going to have a fresher guy in the second half I'm just looking for options because it feels like it's kind of groundhog day with this thing
0: well it's interesting that you bring that up because that's essentially exactly what he did in this Creighton game there was a four minute stretch in the first half where both Quincy Oliveri and Desmond Claude were off the floor at the same time Uh, Trey Green and Dalen Swain checked in for them and they played nearly four-plus minutes, and they actually outscored Creighton by two during that four-minute stretch. So it's coach- funny. I did.
1: I, I swear to God I did not see that because I was coaching the game last night. I saw the whole second half. I watched the whole second half, so I did not even know he did that.
0: Yeah, so he he did basically exactly what you're talking about. I think it's for the reason you're bringing up is trying to buy Desmond uh, an extra minute or two when you're playing well. If you have a lead like you did in the first half of this one and you, you got your offense going, get them off the floor and try to give them a little bit of, of energy back. Um, I don't know if they can do that more consistently, but I do think – the, the freshman starting to emerge, Daylon Swain being able to, you, you mentioned his offense, but his defense too, the fact yeah. that he's that versatile defensive piece who can maybe guard the opposing team's best player and take some of that load off Desmond Claude for half the game or something. And uh, Trey Green giving them a little bit more offense as well. I do think that that, that is significant for the Xavier team because the and I should say Davion McKnight and Abu Uzman are playing better too. They're getting better production out of those older transfer guys. But I think Xavier's upside this year Came from the freshman getting better. And we're starting to see that finally.
1: Yeah. I tell you, Swain coming off dribble handoffs, getting down. Man, he he is he comes downhill and he's got one thing in mind. He's going to the rim with that thing.
0: Yeah. He he he's got a chance to be pretty special. It just he was a little bit farther behind in terms of his confidence and his understanding of how good he can be. You know, a lot of guys with his skill set, they come in and they're, they're trying to do too much. He was like a guy where you're like, you need to do more, you're capable of it.
1: Yeah, and how about maybe from a confidence boost that just the, the dunk that wins the game against Georgetown and the light bulb goes on?
0: I think it was huge. I mean, you saw in the first half of this Creighton game, he, he had a three in front of their bench. He was talking to their bench. It's like, that's not the same kid I saw a week ago before he had that that big finish there uh, against Georgetown. And he's so, got the
1: physicality and athleticism to do it by, by far.
0: Yeah, and just think about him as he starts to add real strength and weight right. to his frame because he's still pretty thin, even though he has that length and wiry athleticism. Um, X will play at UConn. On Sunday, oh, at nice noon. <laughs> yeah, nice reprieve. <laughs> nice nice right.
1: reprieve. and, and let's, let's go back to this too. Um, and, and again, I know you know there was some thought maybe if you could steal a Creighton game and, and can win some of the games you're supposed to win, that you could sneak back into the NCAA conversation. I still think that's very difficult. I mean, even good Xavier teams have gone to Creighton and lost, and that's the other part to it too. That's the, that's the hard part of in these conferences, you can play pretty well and still come up short.
0: Never said that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Yeah, I I agree with you there, Skinny. Let's move on to NKU. They beat Milwaukee by 18 and Green Bay by 22 over the weekend. Uh, Green Bay was tied for first, by the way, when NKU beat them. NKU is now tied for third and one game back of Oakland, who is currently in first place. Uh, Skinny, before we even get into talking about those games, I did want to bring up on Saturday, NKU honored two true living legends. And I know that term gets thrown out there way too often, but these people, if you live in this area, truly are legends, uh, Ken Shields and Nancy Winstall, the former men's and women's coaches at NKU Ken, of course, took NKU to -to back-to-back division two national championship games. They lost both of them. Nancy actually won a couple of national championships at the division two level when she was the coach at NKU. Um, I guess my only thought here to add to all of this, one, it was cool to see them get honored, but two, it, it's really difficult, I think, to be great at great somewhere, do something at a really high level, and then see other people come in and do the same thing and remain completely supportive and upbeat and talk nothing but positively about the people who come after you. And yet Ken Shields and Nancy Winstall have been so supportive of everyone that has continued to take this program to the division one level and do great things since they left that, I mean, they're they're just still so relevant up at NKU, despite them being long gone and and past their, their careers when they were head coaches. It's, it's really cool to see.
1: Yeah. For those that maybe don't know some quick background, Ken Shields took NKU's men's team in division two to -to back-to-back championship games. They did come up short, but runner up finishes in 96, 97. And Nancy Winstall took NKU's women's team to two national championships in division two, I get the years right? 2000, 2008, if I'm not mistaken, were the two years that, that they won. So they are clearly uh, legends because of their accomplishments. And you're right, because of the people they are. Um, I, I, I always feel honored. I consider both of them friends. And and Ken Shields uh, is enough of a friend that he was the one that nominated me for the Northern Kentucky Athletic Directors Hall of Fame. So I felt I, I didn't know who nominated and, and it turned out to be him. And I was I was so honored that he did that. And it was not for me as a player or a coach or anything. It was for me as a as a contributor for the years I worked at the uh, the Kentucky Post, cover in high schools and colleges in in, the, in northern Kentucky. But I was always so honored for that. And every time I see him, he, he we have a good conversation. I was unfortunately I had to coach on Saturday night, or I would have been there. I, in fact, I was getting ready to buy a ticket. I went, oh, we got a game Saturday night. Oh, I can't go. Uh, but I, it was. I'm glad NKU did that because it it's certainly both clearly well deserved.
0: Yeah, they have banners now hanging in Truist Arena with their names and accomplishments on them. I, I thought it was well done by NKU to honor them, and they, they did a good job of it. And I just, you know, you you mentioned it too, but like that's what shocks me so much is I would consider Ken Shields a friend. Like two yes, summers ago, I mean, we went to a I think team there, are, together.
1: there are there are there are thousands and thousands of Northern Kentuckians that would consider him a friend. You you can go it's not even six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You can get maybe two degrees is all you have to go away before you run into somebody and somebody comes up with a car hey, heard from coach shields lately. How's he doing? And it, 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 he's that kind of guy.
0: It is. But you know, I say that not to be like, Oh yeah, I'm a part of this. this is about me too. But to say like Ken Shields is a guy who is older. His health is in decline. And yet if I see him, like as he's walking out of max pizza pub after the game, it's like Rick, how are you doing? And he brings up Holy Cross, the high school I went to, or some Pat Ryan, who was an yep. assistant for him. That was my Dean of discipline when I was in high school in my baseball. Like he, he's so sharp still and remembers everyone and what they're doing and who their family members are and all of these connections. I just don't know how he does all that because like you I said, I'm a, a peon in his giant universe. And, and yet he knows everything that's going on with me still, which always is, is just so impressive to me. Um, and he, uh, and he
1: took a big jump. Keep in mind, he started his coaching career at Little Saint Thomas High School, which is no longer in Northern Kentucky. Then uh, to Highlands, where he had great success and went to the state tournament numerous times. And then a giant leap of faith by NKU to hire a high school coach to come be the head coach of their college program um, at the time. And granted, in Division II, but it's still a a relevant level of basketball for goodness sakes. And and what he did was in, was was crazy. I got a quick Ken Shield story because it's one of my favorites. Dave Beazell used to, and, and when I was doing some NKU radio. Um, if we were going on a road trip or or the few times we flew on trips, bees would set a weird time. Like we're leaving at seven Oh seven or we're leaving it at at six 36. And one day I asked him, I said, why the weird time? Why not just do a round number? He goes, that was a coach shields thing. He always said an odd time. I don't know why he did it, but he always did it. And I'm like, that's kind of cool in a weird way.
0: Yeah. Especially when people remember you for things like that. And then they adopt it into their program, it becomes kind of the thing you're known for. Um, yeah, just a special, special guy, and so is Nancy. I don't know her as well personally, so um, I don't have the the Late insight coach. there, but mm. incredible basketball coach. She won a national title while I was in school there at NKU in 2008, so that was certainly a cool moment. And one of my high school classmates was on that team, Rachel Lantry, so oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all of that was pretty cool to see. But all right, let's talk about this UK or this NKU team, skinny, because um, Sam Vincent goes down. They're trying to find themselves for a few games there, and they lose a couple of close ones. They lose Cleveland State in a tight one on the road. Um, they lost the Oakland one in a tight one on the road, and they barely beat Detroit at Detroit. And It's like, oh, okay, this team's scuffing along. They, it seems like they're getting better, but these results are, are kind of shaky right now. All of a sudden, NKU is clearly playing their best basketball of the year, an 18 point win over Milwaukee who people expected to be good. And they just got one of their best players back a 22 point win over first place. Green Bay who has been playing fantastic and has a, a real player of the year candidate, Noah Reynolds, who was committed to Wisconsin before the assistant at Wyoming, which is where he was transferring from, got the head coaching job at green Bay. And his brother was hired an assistant at green Bay. So he decided to go to green Bay instead of starting at Wisconsin this year. But I mean, that tells you the type of talent he is. He's a, he's a real player. Um, Skinny, I think if I'm talking about NKU and, and what I've seen from them that impresses me during this stretch and, and they've been playing better basketball, Keenan Tijre is the first thing that jumps out to me. I mean, he is worth the price of admission and he might be the most exciting player to watch in the area right now.
1: That, that dunk the other night that, that I saw the highlight of where it looks like he's looking down into the rim is absurd
0: it real i mean he gets off the floor not that he gets off so high he does jump high but he's 69 so if you jump high at all and you're 69 you're going to look like you're high the thing that is crazy is how quickly he gets off the floor for these like putback dunks and these block shots uh, he's a special special athlete i don't know there's many people like him in the entire country
1: yeah, and especially if you're playing in that league where the league, excuse me, where the bigs are not elite. I mean, you can certainly be a, a difference maker. And we talked about this, Rick. I mean, in this league right now, you can go from the outhouse to the penthouse and the penthouse to the outhouse in literally one week. So it feels like just the, just a, a podcast or two ago, and it probably was a couple of podcasts ago. We were talking about IPF, IPFW maybe being the best team in the league, and they're sitting in first place. And now they're, what, four and five, I believe.
0: Yeah, I lost like five straight games, and uh, that's actually NKU's next game. They'll host uh, Purdue Fort Wayne at seven on I'm coming. Thursday. I'm coming. Hell yeah! I think uh, Mo my, might be my, there too.
1: My buddy Tom Gamble and I are coming, and, and he's got some of his cronies coming, so we're we're coming tomorrow night.
0: All right. Well, that is that is going to be a scene. I I yes, honestly wish I could maybe sneak up to that suite that you guys are going to be in for a few minutes, but I, I imagine. I won't be in condition to broadcast if I come out of there. So yeah,
1: that's probably a good point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, the, just skinny. The other thing, I mean, obviously Mark Warwick We're talking a lot about his scoring record and how he's chasing drew McDonald. He's now about 90 ish points away. So next maybe five or so games. He has a chance to get that. But aside from Warwick, I think LJ Wells and Trey Robinson at the forward position. And it was kind of like those two were a tandem. It was like one, week one game one of them would play well the next game the other might play well but you didn't get them going at the same time all of a sudden now both of those guys are becoming pretty reliable and and they're playing a lot together
1: yeah and it gives you again two legitimate you know forward position type guys uh, in a league where there's there's some of those but you know you needed somebody to step up and you're hoping okay maybe it'll be a guard to step up in place of the guard who goes down sam vincent instead it's 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 a bigger guy who does it and Uh, that allows you then to not have to maybe go deeper into the well, if you will, at the guard position to say, Hey, I got to have a guard, replace a guard. No, it's a, it's, it's LJ Wells. Who's technically a forward wing. Who's who's stepping up and playing really well. And uh, I, I, you know, it feels like they kind of have weathered this a little bit.
0: It it does. And, you know, I felt like when Sam went down, I felt like this NKU team would still be competitive, but I definitely thought the rest of the season was going to be a war. I did not think that they would be winning games by double digits to right. see them beat two quality teams. I mean, this wasn't Detroit. No, right. Know, it wasn't Detroit and Robert Morris that they beat. Oh, no, and it's funny,
1: they, and, and they struggled with Detroit, right?
0: Right, right. And that, so, I mean, it, it's you never know in conference play, especially when you're on the road, but to beat Milwaukee by 18 and Green Bay by 22, I think the rest of the league probably looked at those scores the same way I did and said. Uh, NKU's got a real chance again this year to win this whole thing with or without Sam Vincent.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're a game out of first place to get that one seed, and there's a lot of basketball still to be played inside the league.
0: Yep. All right. So they will host Purdue Fort Wayne on Thursday at seven, as we mentioned. They'll play Youngstown State on Sunday. That game is at Youngstown State at 30. So that's going to be a big one, as Youngstown State is towards the top of the conference as well. I have and one. they got a
1: seven three guy from Simon Kenton, Gabe Dines.
0: Gabe Dines blocking a lot of shots. Yeah, yes, he blocking is. a lot of shots. Uh, I've got one other story. It's from a regional team. We don't typically talk about Indiana, but uh, the Hoosiers have been struggling a little bit recently, and. Uh, they just lost a game to Wisconsin, and there was a moment during their broadcast where their legendary play-by-play man, Don Fisher. I love uh, Don Fisher. Yeah, made, made the following comment during the game, and I just oh, want no. to get your, your thoughts on it. For my 51 years behind the microphone. On, let's start that again. And I have never said this before in my 51 years behind the microphone at Indiana University, but I am embarrassed for this Uh Right and now. Not, be, not because of the story. Yeah. Whoa! So that's Don Fisher saying he's never said this in his 51 years broadcasting, but he is embarrassed for Indiana's basketball program. This occurred after CJ Gunn for Indiana was ejected for elbowing a Wisconsin player in the face. It was kind of one of those retaliation moments where the other player was annoying him. And so he gave him a pretty weak forearm Chuck to the elbow, but it's right in front of official right in front of the Wisconsin bench. And in this day and age with replay being what it is, you 100% know, that's going to be seen and you're going to be tossed from the game for it. So I think that's what Don Fisher was talking about. I I listened to him on some radio appearances uh, yesterday to to hear his follow-up on those comments. And that's basically what he said is just like, you know, he felt it was a silly mistake and that uh, players have been getting intentional fouls technical fouls thrown out of games for indiana this year at a rate that he said he's never seen before and he i think that's really where his his comments came from did you have an issue with him saying he's embarrassed for indiana do you think that's something a a broadcaster should lay off Well,
1: when when you've done that for 51 years i think you've got some cachet and you are the voice of the fans in that regard and and you know maybe he's i don't think he's out of bounds with that if that's the way he feels i mean indiana could certainly do something if it thought it was out of bounds i didn't think it was above above board so no, I, I got no problem with it, especially if that's what he was referring to. Is kind of the culmination of what you talked about. If it's a number of ejections and finally, this is the latest in him on a, just a stupid, flagrant, idiotic play. Um, I, I can I can see that after fifty one years doing it. He's he's one of my favorites. I mean, back before you know we had ESPN and all that, and you'd have to. Uh, I'd watch Dayton games on channel seven with rabbit ears in my bedroom. You barely get the fuzzy Dayton games because they used to televise those a lot. And then if you had to find a game on the radio, you could pick up Indiana games. So I've listened to Don Fisher for a long, long time. And I think he's, he's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah. If you're a younger listener and you're not aware of who Don Fisher is, it's kind of like, I mean, if you know IU basketball or you know college basketball in that area, he's the Marty Brenneman of that area. I mean, they, they, they know him like a celebrity and treat him like such. And so, him saying this, he's going to get away with it. He's already kind of walked the statement back, clarified what he meant. And I don't think there's any serious issues that are going to come out of this. But when Don Fisher says something like that, you take notice. I certainly did. It caught me. I immediately started texting that to some of my broadcast friends saying, can you believe he said this? And so I just wanted to get your take because I thought that was a kind of an interesting moment. I don't know where Mike Woodson's tenure is headed at Indiana, but I have a feeling uh, this may be a moment we look back on and say, ah, that was probably a good sign that things were headed the wrong way.
1: Yeah, and they're not playing great basketball either.
0: No, they're not. All right. Uh any other college basketball thoughts, Skinny, before we move on to the Bengals here.
1: No, nope, just another wild and crazy week in college basketball. Although again, I, I it feels like UConn's starting to start to separate itself a little bit. And unfortunately, that's where Xavier's got to go next.
0: Yeah, it's it's not going to be easy. But like I said, I mean, it's just been such a fun year to watch good basketball if you're if you're into watching the local teams. So so we'll take it. More ranked teams, more ranked uh games. It doesn't get any better than that all right let's move on to the Bengals skinny the Tennessee Titans have officially hired Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan as their new head coach just before we started this podcast you mentioned the Titans surprised the league a few weeks ago when they fired Mike Vrabel after six seasons now they're moving on to Callahan so let's start there skinny how would you feel if you're a Titans fan about going from Mike Vrabel to Brian Callahan
1: like Mike Vrabel a lot, the athletic did a heck of a piece on a kind of behind the scenes of what, how things unfolded for, for Vrabel and the way that tenure ended. And it wasn't, it was a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And uh, he and the owner seemed like they clashed heads. I know if you're a fan, you're looking and going, yeah, but that offense wasn't all that good this year and yeah, they didn't even make the playoffs. But I think I said this last week, I, I didn't think Brian was going to get a head coaching job this time around. It just, I, but I'm glad he did. I'm happy for him personally. Um, but I said this last week on the podcast, Rick. If you thought he was a viable candidate last year, what's changed other than they went nine and eight and and he didn't have Joe Burrow for a chunk of the season? I mean, I, really, what change? If you thought he was a candidate last year, he's a candidate now, and um, I, I'm 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 happy for him. I know some people can look and they'll say, oh, it's his last name and that last name's gotten him in the door in coaching, but he's paid his dues and he's done it was he's done some good things, certainly with some good quarterbacks. It doesn't hurt to have Peyton Manning to work with. It doesn't hurt to have Matthew Stafford to work with. It doesn't hurt to have Joe Burrow to work with. But all of those guys speak very highly of Brian
0: Skinny. Is it possible that Joe Burrow going down and seeing the way the Bengals offense actually regrouped and played pretty well with Jake Browning back there? maybe made him even more appealing this year than he was last year, because Hey, this guy can clearly coach. It's not just playing with a great quarterback in Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's a good point, Rick.
0: Maybe. Um, yeah, I just, I, on one hand, I, I think of it that way. On the other hand, I also hear like some of the local media types in Cincinnati who are like, well, if you, you're worried about him not calling plays, you don't get it. And it's like, well, hold on now. I mean, that, that kind of is a huge talking point for offensive coordinators is whether you call the plays or not, we bring it up seemingly every week after Bengals losses in this area. So it was a a big talking point. And if I'm a fan of another team who's about to hire a coach, I would be questioned like, Hey, this guy was an offensive coordinator, but he didn't actually even call the plays. Is he really ready? Like, I guess if I'm a Titans fan, I'm not getting a lot of excitement out of going from Mike Vrabel, who I see as a pretty good coach and a respected guy to a no-namer who didn't really even call the plays in Brian Cowley.
1: Yeah, don't forget, Zach Taylor didn't call the plays in L.A. either and, right. and wasn't even the offensive coordinator and, and took the step from from you know where he was to becoming Bengals head coach. And so, um, you know, it, it obviously started very slowly for Zach. The one thing I would say is the interesting part, and I don't want to turn this into a Tennessee Titans podcast, is do they let him – start with his own quarterback with that seventh pick or do they say no we believe in Will Levis we need you to believe in Will Levis we need you to develop Will Levis that that'll be the interesting one for me going forward to see how quickly uh, they allow him to do that or they say no and maybe that was part of it maybe that's part of the interview process of we believe in this kid we need you to get on board with it or they say no he's our bridge guy we're going to let you take your guy with pick seven maybe you don't have to play him right away but you can start with your own
0: You're a Kentucky football guy. Would you be confident in Will Levis or would you feel like he should be gone?
1: I said I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. I really believe that um, because of the things he did under duress and in the NFL, you don't get a chance to sit there and go through six progressions like you do at Ohio State or Alabama or those places. That's why, no offense, I've never believed in Ohio State quarterbacks. And C.J. Stroud has kind of broken that mold and good for him. And maybe he's an outlier for all I know. But Bryce Young, it it, it hasn't worked. And, it, again, it's just rookie year, so I'm not going to fold the tent on him. But he really, really struggled. And I think a lot of that is these guys who come from elite programs sometimes, it's I got 10 seconds to throw back here. All right, what am I going to do? And you could say that maybe about Joe Burrow at LSU and all those things. Joe Burrow is such a fast processor of stuff. It, 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 it's going to work for him. But to Will Levis, I, I I've always believe he's got the arm talent. He's got the toughness. He's got leadership. He's obviously very quirky. I, I think the kid can play.
0: So the Bengals need a new offensive coordinator now. Dan Pitcher seemed like the natural succession plan they've been counting on, but he was also interviewing with the Raiders and Saints this week for potential offensive coordinator jobs there. And
1: and interview with the Patriots as well.
0: And the Patriots. Um, Another name that's been brought up by a lot of the fans is Joe Brady, the interim Bills offensive coordinator. He was the passing game coordinator for LSU back in 2019 when Burrow and Chase were on that team, bro, a senior, Chase, a, a sophomore at that time. He's probably looking for a head coach job, I would assume.
1: Well, um, he, the, the thing for him is, I, I read a story this morning um, where it says Bills will consider uh, Brady for full-time OC, and I thought, well, that seems like a no-brainer to you guys. I mean, that, that firing of Ken Dorsey and the insertion of, of him, maybe it was just coincidence, but their offense took off when he became offensive coordinator. Uh, again, maybe that wasn't all him. I think these cases are interesting. Obviously the Joe Brady to Joe Burrow connection is one that everybody's talked about. And, and I fully understand that. But if Joe Brady is an OC who wants to call plays, you're not going to have that opportunity here. And that's to the Dan pitcher part. If Dan wants to call plays, maybe that's where he looked to take a job elsewhere. If not, you know, the succession, the reason they, they fought hard to keep him in this organization last year, when he flirted with the Tampa Bay offensive coordinator job, they gave him a lot more money. Um, they, I I think they blocked him from actually talking to Tampa Bay, but they, they wanted him around for the potential succession plan of him stepping in as, as OC. Maybe he's got it of an inkling of, I want to go call my own plays. And and if the Raiders give me, give me that opportunity, I I want it. I I can't imagine you want to go call plays for Mac Jones or whatever, Bailey Zappi or whoever they have at quarterback in new England. Um, I I still think he is the OC here. I I believe that because I think you can look and go, well, my head coach got a head coaching job without calling plays before he came here. He did it at UC, but not in the NFL. The guy I'm replacing didn't call plays here and just got a head coaching position. So there is a path for me to do that. So I think that's where where he goes. Because I've also had people ask me, well, "Why is he interviewing the Bengals?" Well, listen, I'm going to go listen to people. And again, like I said, if they're going to let, if I have it in my heart of hearts that I want to call plays, and I'm getting the opportunity elsewhere, um, and it's a good opportunity, I think I'm going to take it. I don't think the opportunity in New England's good. The opportunity in Vegas is probably going to be pretty good. So I think that's where he has to weigh that decision. But to me, it would be, do I want to go call call plays for uh, a crippled Jimmy Garoppolo, Aiden O'Connell, and and those guys? Or do I want to hitch my star again to Joe Burrow in a potential run to a Super Bowl and, again, be a hot coach on a hot staff?
0: Yeah, one thing to keep in mind here, too, about the Raiders is uh, it was reported that Marvin Lewis – is going to be on that staff formally. With and Anthony he hired Dan here. Pitcher. Yeah, so he he's the guy who brought Pitcher to Cincinnati. Potentially, Pitcher could have that loyalty and want to work with Marvin again and go out to Vegas. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. I, it seems like Dan Pitcher is the most probable answer for the Bengals' next offensive coordinator. Do you feel like that's mostly a done deal, or do you feel like that's that's still a lot to play out there?
1: I think, I think it's more his decision to make than it is the bad. I think the Bengals would love that. Like I said, I think this was the plan all along. The reason they fought to keep him as quarterbacks coach. Hey, cause he is a really good quarterbacks coach. I mean, Zach Taylor made a point of, you know, he's really the one responsible for developing Jake Browning because um, you know, when Jake was on the practice squad, Dan was the guy that would spend time after regular practice working with him um, because he doesn't get a lot of reps um, in, 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 practices as a practice squad quarterback you're running some scout team stuff and you're really not developing um you know you're forced to make throws that you probably wouldn't make in a game you know, you're, you're being asked to do things that, that that don't come natural to you and you don't want to do and so after practice he spent time with Jake Browning and so uh, again he's a great quarterbacks coach but I this has been in my opinion the succession plan all along it's why they fought to keep him on staff of we love you as quarterbacks coach we're going to pay you more than most quarterbacks coaches because if Brian gets a head coaching job we want you to be the offensive
0: coordinator we mentioned Joe Brady. He's been a guy that's bounced around a lot over the last few years since his time at LSU. He's been a climber for sure. Um, He also just interviewed for that Falcons head coaching job. And again, I think that's where his sights are set on is becoming a head coach sooner than later. Do you think that's a, a realistic name that should we talk about at all? Or do you think that's just a fan thing totally?
1: No, I think it's realistic. I, I just think, you know, he's in a good situation in Buffalo. If they're going to make him the full time OC and he can call plays, I think that's a no brainer for him. And to your point, if somehow he lands a head coaching job off of this, well, obviously that takes you out of the out of the mix. Board. So I, I don't think it's a fan. I don't. I, I think it's easy for everybody to make that connection. Um, but to me, I think it's still Dan Pitcher's job unless Dan Pitcher chooses to go elsewhere.
0: They also uh, interviewed the Bengals. That is interviewed Seahawks offensive line coach Andy Dickerson for the offensive coordinator job. Um, uh, do you have any insight on him? Is that a I name? Mean, that's yeah, I, I know they did,
1: but I, yeah, I have no, I, I know nothing about him other than what what his background is as the O line coach in in Seattle.
0: I know this is unfair because you know guys bounce around to different coaching jobs all the time. You could be a, a running backs coach in one place and then be a, some type of defensive coach in another place or whatever. So it's not really that you're tied to that and that's your only knowledge, but it does seem a little like weird or maybe a little apprehensive when you start talking about an offensive line coach being your offensive coordinator. That's probably not fair, but that's just how I feel.
1: Well, especially when your offensive line coach it's already on staff and it's clear that Frank Pollock's coming back, whether fans want him back or not, is also your run game coordinator. So do you take, if you bring this guy and you take that title away from him? Because, you know, most offensive line coaches are tied to the run game.
0: Yeah, feels like there might be some clashing there, which, you know, whatever. Not sure exactly how I feel about that either way. I don't love Frank Pollock at the moment or uh, his, his run game coordinating that he's been doing. So not sure if that's a big hit, but it is something that would have to be sorted out. Skinny, my... Feeling is that I've always felt that Joe Burrow should essentially be the Bengals GM in these situations and he should get to hand pick whoever he wants after the way this year went with, you know, we kind of see him go down. The Bengals do change up the offense a little bit. They start going under center more. They start using more play action. All the things that we had kind of been talking about. Well, they're not going to do that because Joe Burrow doesn't want to do that. They do those things. They find some success, maybe even more consistent success than they actually found while Joe Burrow was running the team earlier in the season, despite taking a major step back in talent at the quarterback position. Should I be rethinking that of, of letting Joe Burrow make his own decisions and be the GM here? Or should we really be like the adults in the room and say, no, Joe, actually it's best if we do it this way and you'll be better this well, way. Well,
1: I, I will say in Joe's post-season press conference with us the day after the season, um, which I give him a lot of credit for. He didn't have to do it. We asked and we kind of asked thinking he's going to say no. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, he said, you know, I paid attention to that. I noticed what, what some of the things that worked. And he did say, listen, we were going to incorporate those if my calf was better. And I think they were. I mean, that had been talked about as they were. In fact, they did do it in San Francisco. They incorporated some of that stuff and they had arguably their most efficient offensive game of the season in, in San Francisco. So, yeah, I think he's also smart enough to see some of those things too. And he, he made he is smart enough because he, he made a point of it with us that he saw it.
0: Well, it's not so much that he's not smart enough to see it, but I guess a, a, my original stance on this would have been like, whatever Joe Burrow says, it goes. Like, just do let him do whatever he wants to do because he's smarter than all of you guys. Now I'm wondering if, okay, he's really talented, he's really great at processing these things, but it might be good to have a different set of eyes telling him okay, here's what we should be running, and here's actually what will be most efficient for us, and, and we just need you to execute that better.
1: Yeah, um, that sounds great in theory.
0: <laughs> well, what's, which side do you come out of? Should Joe Burrow have free reign and be able to call all the no, shots,
1: No, not free reign. That's but, how but, I've
0: always felt, is like, just turn it over to Joe and let him decide whatever he wants in terms of personnel.
1: But, but I also think that they realize that he's capable of doing what you're saying, of, of, of making things work that he likes, Um, you know, the whole thing of, they don't use a ton of motion because he, he wants to see the defense as it is primarily they use some, obviously they may even incorporate a little bit more next year, but he likes to see a defense set to, to get a good pre-snap read. And and that's one of the things he's so good at. And that's fine. If that, if that makes him more comfortable, I'm fine with it because he does execute on top of everything else at an elite level. Sure.
0: All right. uh Well, A couple other things to get here to a little bit more minor. Um, Tyler Boyd was was at a Pittsburgh High School Hall of Fame event. And uh, he was asked, of course, about free agency, Bengals and other things. So about the Bengals, he said, quote, I definitely feel like they will try to keep me. And depending on the value and money, it's a business, but I would love to come back, which nothing uh, surprising there. But then he was asked about potentially playing in Pittsburgh for the Steelers. And he said, you never know. I love coach Tomlin. He's probably one of the realest dudes in the sports business. Obviously I played at Pitt and I had a lot of run-ins with him and talked to him just about football. His personality is more like a father figure. It's a great connection, but who knows, even if I don't go after this year, I could do a one-year deal at the end of my career and maybe finish up there. But who knows skinny. First of all, this feels very much like Tyler Boyd wants to to play in Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Which is a surprise. Um, How big of an issue is this going to be for Bengals fans if Tyler Boyd ends up in Pittsburgh?
1: um not going to like it but it, it feels like a natural fit for the, most people know his background he grew up in a suburb of Pittsburgh Clarion Pennsylvania where he was a star played his college football at Pitt that's where he's had conversations with Mike Tomlin um don't think that he Mike Tomlin is is doing anything uh, Kenny, tampering skinny yeah, tampering exactly um so those conversations were from back then um he's got family still there so it seems like a natural fit i mean it, it's always felt like that i know that's a fear of Bengals fans that Tyler Boyd would come back and 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 get you. But that's kind of the nature of the business.
0: But, I mean, in terms of most hated Steelers wide receiver, like Hines Ward and Juju Smith-Schuster or somewhere, like Tyler Boyd well, goes pretty high on that list, right?
1: Antonio Brown's pretty high up there, too.
0: Antonio Brown's high, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forget that he's even really a Steelers guy now because he had so much so many lives since then. It shows
1: you the fickleness of fans, right?
0: It does. But uh, this one will be tough for, to get over, and I understand why, I think.
1: And I'll be honest, I've said it before, and, and we, when we talked to Tyler after the, that last game, I, I, he did talk about wanting to come back, but I think he also understands he's probably not. Um, I mean, unless he comes up with some silly team-friendly deal, and I don't know you know, if that would take place. I'll be honest with you, I I, I think just from a production standpoint, it is time to move on. I mean, he was okay this year, but he wasn't. He, listen, he he isn't turning the clock back, in my opinion. It's just going to go get a step worse each and every year to me.
0: Yeah, he's now a thirty-year-old guy who was never yeah, right. elite to begin with. So
1: that's correct. He's, he was a he was a nice slot receiver.
0: Yeah, a little grit ball who who played hard and uh, yes. probably passed his time. But if he goes to Pittsburgh, you just know that he's going to have a big catch in an AFC no game against the Bengals, and fans are going to lose their minds about it, and understandably so. It is going to be hard. To, you know, I I just blame this all on Jeremy Rowe. Jeremy Rowe ran him out of town, and it's all on him. Uh, all right. The website sportsbetting.ag has given the Bengals odds of 12 to 1 to win the Super Bowl next season, which is tied for the fifth lowest odds, skinny. The teams with the three lowest odds are still alive in this year's postseason are San Francisco at five to one, Baltimore and Kansas City at eight to one, and the Buffalo Bills are the fourth choice at 10 to 1. Detroit Lions are tied with the Bengals at 12 to 1, tied for those uh fifth best odds what are your thoughts there too high for the Bengals too low is that what you expected
1: No, uh, I, I, I would say too low because you asked me a couple weeks ago if I would bet on them making the playoffs and I said I don't know if I would bet on them making the playoffs because of the holes on defense you can also look at the flip side of it again does Joe Burrow being healthy win one of those two Pittsburgh games it probably wins the first one right and you know, the loss to Houston wasn't because of I mean, Tyler Boyd dropped a touchdown pass in that game that could have been the deciding factor too. And that's that's eleven and six, and that that does have them in the playoffs. And um, so, if you think they're getting back to the playoffs, which I think is fair for most people to think, again, you asked me if I'd bet on it. I wouldn't bet on it, but again, I think they do make the playoffs. Um, if you think that's the case, then they're obviously with with what they've done in the past have more than a puncher's chance to get to the Super Bowl. If they get to the Super Bowl, you're fifty 50 50 to win it. So. I get where those odds are coming from.
0: Yeah, it's like it's hard with this Bengals team because we're close to it, and so like from a fan's perspective, I look at it and say, "Oh, look at the glaring holes. The defense was so bad this year. They got to improve so many things." But then I also start looking at other teams' roster situations going into the offseason, even some of the ones that are in theory better than the Bengals or or were this year. And I'm like, Bengals have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, and probably T Higgins coming back next year it's a pretty damn good place to start at. And then there there are some other pieces that are already sealed up too or locked up going forward too. So it's like, in a a lot of ways, the Bengals roster is in a better spot than most teams going into next year. And they have Joe Burrow. So uh, yeah, 12 to one, fifth lowest odds. Feels about right. I mean, I don't think I would have the Bengals any lower than seventh or eighth. Right, no, correct. And so they're tied for fifth. I I mean, basically put you in the top six. That, That feels about right to me.
1: Let's not forget, this is a Bengals team that, when it was healthy, beat the 49ers. Granted, the 49ers did not have Trent Williams that day, did not have Debo Samuel that day, but they also beat them handily on the road. Beat the Buffalo Bills. Um, were toe-to-toe with the Chiefs on the road in, in that next-to-last game of, of the season. Um, were toe-to-toe with the Ravens. Hell, might have beat the Ravens in Baltimore on that Thursday night. A Burrow doesn't hurt his wrist, so how far away are they really, I guess?
0: Yeah. I mean that's it's funny because you can go either side of this when yes, you talk you about the Bengals head in the offseason, but the the farther we get away from the season and the more I, I, I settle down. I, I feel like I'm more on that that ladder side of things of what like actually they're in a pretty good spot going into next.
1: And year. let's not forget for some of those slotted games, because as most people know, the, the the schedules are set well in advance, years in advance, but there's always a couple of three open spots where you play a like finisher from a division. Don't forget, they get a last place schedule. They get last place finishers in those slots
0: which is going to be nice because they haven't had that for a few years. Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, Skinny real quick, before we get to ask any, anything, let's go ahead and pick these NFL playoff games. We've got two games this weekend for the conference championships 3 PM on Sunday. We've got chiefs at the Ravens. The Ravens are a three and a half point favorite. The total is 44 and a half
1: Baltimore just annihilated people at home all year. I, I listen, I, I was on a, my, my normal hit on W L W on Friday and was asked to kind of pick things all the way out, and I said, you know, I the way Buffalo was playing, I I, I picked them to win the Super Bowl. I just thought that they they were going to win that Chiefs game, and they were going to go steal that game at Baltimore and look up and a hot Bills teams in the Super Bowl, and they're going to win it. That obviously didn't take place. But I also said in regards to them playing Kansas City, and I did this with Georgia during the college season. Until you kill the king off, the king is still the king, man, and the king knows it's the king, and the king knows how to find ways to win games. Um, I'm still picking Baltimore by a touchdown plus, like I said, I, they, they've been the most impressive team probably from start to finish all season long on both sides of the football. And you combine that in one team, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a mix. Um, that said, if I'm a Ravens fan, Patrick Mahomes on that other side still would scare the daylight bejesus out of me because of the success he's had in the playoffs, but I'm going to go Baltimore by a touchdown.
0: Well, it feels like Vegas agrees with you because that three and a half number is begging everyone to take the Chiefs. Yep. I mean, that, that hook added onto the three. And honestly, I think they're going to get me here. I Like, I, I agree with I you on the Ravens. They've been awesome. But I think I'm probably going to put my money on the Chiefs side of things and, and hope this comes down to a field goal game. Um, my actual prediction, I'll go Ravens 27, Chiefs 24. I'll go 27-20. Uh,
1: so I'm kind of in the vein.
0: Yeah, but so I'll I'll have the Chiefs covering the Ravens winning, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if the Chiefs win. don't forget, Skinny Taylor Swift is on their side, no
1: question, and and a naked Jason Kelsey.
0: Yes, so I that's that's those are two forces that I don't know if we're ready. If the NFL scriptwriters are ready to have that part of the story come to an end just yet, so
1: exactly, yeah, no. Well, as you know, a Canadian a Canadian TV station uh, had the had the uh, uh, they they had the halftime entertainment for the. I think it was the Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco 49ers Super Bowl. So the script does say Baltimore wins, but it doesn't say if it covers
0: or not in this game. I love how people are thinking that news producers for TV stations are the ones in charge and would have access to the script. When I tell you that there is no... I've worked in that room. I've been a part of that whole operation. There's no one more prone to stupid F-ups than people in that room. So when I tell you that that is like undoubtedly... Just some dude who's been worked silly over the past however many years and just typed in two teams and sleepy. He doesn't even know who's still alive in the NFL playoffs. He's just a script writer, saw two names, wrote them in there because he saw that they had won. He had no idea that we that we weren't even at the Super Bowl yet. Probably I guarantee you.
1: Right. That's probably right.
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing, real quick, I we've we have avoided this at all costs all season long. I haven't brought it up one time. Can I just say? The men who are complaining about Taylor Swift during these games you you've got to get a grip on your life. I I honestly I watched the full games, I've watched all of them they show her three or four times up on the screen for a half of a second and they go away. The announcers aren't even talking about right. what is honestly bothering you so much It impacted my my viewing of the game Zilch. There was zero impact except it was kind of fun to see Jason Kelsey up there drinking beer shirtless.
1: Wouldn't you like to see Mr.
0: Bill painted face
1: guy instead?
0: Right. Like that, that's that much better. I mean, you know, like my wife wanted to see Taylor on uh, on the TV when they scored, she missed it because it was so quick. She didn't even see her on the TV. It, like it's not really interrupting anything. And yet every week I'm just bombarded by tweets and guys on sports talk radio talking about it endlessly. Like it is such a big deal. I'm like, would you shut up and focus on the game? Because you're way bigger to distraction than she is.
1: Yeah, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect me one iota.
0: I, I, I can't understand the fascination with this. Like It is so bizarre that people are getting that worked up over it when they, they really have done a great job of not paying much attention to her at all during these broadcasts. Uh, all right, 6.30, we've got Lions at 49ers. 49ers are a seven-point favorite. The total is 51.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, the impact that Debo Samuel has on that offense is humongous. Um, that being said... I just don't trust Detroit's defense, especially on the road. Jared Goff outdoors. I it just Listen, it's been a fun run for Detroit. It would be so cool. It feels very parallel to the Bengals, like if they make the run all the way to the Super Bowl. But I think that the, the dream dies here. The two most complete teams in the NFL, really from start to finish, have been Baltimore and San Francisco. And I think the 49ers finished the, the NFC off in style with a, I'll go, 31-19
0: victory files I was going to say 31-21, I'm, I'm in the exact same But I'd love to see the Lions do it. i am be rooting for them. I just don't see it happening, though. I think I think the 49ers roll in this one. So, there you go. Those are our picks for the conference championship games. And, Skinny, it is time for a little Ask Any Anything This will be a quick one. All righty. Uh, what is Skinny's coaching value statement? My guess is take the charge, W's will follow.
1: It, it is. I had a, a, a an athletic, former athletic director where I did coach – who texted me on Sunday and says, you'll be proud to know my second grade son took two charges today. And I texted him back and I said, hey, start him young, man. The younger, the better. Um, yeah, I am. I am Mr. Mr. Take a Charge guy. I just I, I believe in it because I believe it does show toughness. It is a way to keep people from straight line driving on you when you don't have elite shot blockers at a high school level. So yeah, that would be clearly my mission statement.
0: Okay, so we we haven't talked about this either all season, and I've just been loving it so much, but I haven't brought it up because I didn't want us to be a one-trick pony here on this podcast. The college game has finally basically eliminated charges on the block charge situation where you're going to the basket. They they changed where the gather point starts and how they're deciding that. So it's almost impossible to slide in when a guy's going up for a shot and take a charge now. And magically, since they stopped calling it and rewarding guys being parking cones and falling down, they're all sudden hardly any collisions underneath the basket in college games, the game is the pace of the game. Everything has been way better this year, in my opinion. Yeah, and that game, Have you been bothered it, by the lack of charges? I've been bothered by it
1: because I will say, I mean, at that level, the game is played far more above the rim where you can challenge shots and block shots and affect the game with, with that. You just don't, you don't have those guys at the high school level to do that. Most of the game is played below the rim and that's where there is a premium on blocking out. There is a premium on taking a charge. There is a premium on keeping people in front of you because you just don't have that kind of talent at the rim to, to affect shots.
0: I'm telling you somehow in college, they've figured out a way to make it work without it. I promise you it'll work in high school too. You just got, you I have know, man, I'm telling you on the ball instead of being parking cones, actually teach them to be defenders. A I know straight a line drive contact. anymore is really, especially with all
1: this five out stuff. It's hard to guard that straight line drive anymore. It really is.
0: Nah, I don't do worry more about right.
1: that going into games than I do anything else.
0: But, but as, as we've talked about, sometimes you're just not meant to guard the other guy. If you can't keep him in front, he gets to score. That's how the game works. Uh, what is each of your favorite TV shows that you have been watched?
1: Binge um, watched. I, I'm not a big binge watch guy. I mean, we binge watched kind of to a degree Ted Lasso, although we really didn't binge watch it. We kind of made that kind of a weekly thing to catch back up. Um, Brockmire, when it was a thing, we binge watched that after, after sitting it aside, I I tried, tried to watch, um, Shit's Creek and and binge watch some of that. And it just was so cringy that I, I it's funny in parts, but it was so cringy in parts that I just kind of tuned out of it. So, yeah, I mean, especially for me from about July until about the end of March, April, early April, it's I got Bengals every day into coaching basketball into March Madness. There isn't much time to binge watch many TV shows in there.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat in terms of recently. I haven't watched anything good. It's been a few years. But Skinny, I want to ask you this first. How often do I talk about politics?
1: Uh, Next to none, to my knowledge.
0: Never. I don't think about them ever. I don't know what's going on. I know nothing about politics. Uh, I just want to get that out of the way before I tell you about my favorite shows, because my favorite show ever is probably West Wing. Um, Okay, yeah. Another show that was really not very good, but I loved watching it while it was being released on Netflix was House of Cards. I thought that first season of house of cards, maybe my favorite season of TV ever after that, it just went off the rails, but I continued to watch and I enjoyed it, even though it sucked. Um, I mean, breaking bad's definitely in the conversation. I never it's, watched it. Ch- I, I, oh, you should. You I should. know of it.
1: Yeah. 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 I will say the, the, if I am at home, it's usually Saturday morning, Sunday morning ish before you get into sports things in the afternoon, Old reruns of two and a half men. And I can, I can, and I hunt around for any of the law and order. Series, I, I love all the Law
0: and Orders. Law and Order is still going. I mean, they're just oh, printing great. money with that thing, still, it's unbelievable. Yep. Dun dun. Uh, These all are right, their <laughs> what's Skinny's best, most memorable Valentine's Day date? I'm guessing he's not a big V Day guy, so if he doesn't have a good one, what's his overall thoughts on Valentine's Day?
1: Um, so my buddy Tom Gamble and I once decided we were on the west side of Cincinnati and we were passing a flower store, and we both decided. Be nice to get some flowers for our wives for, for Valentine's day. And because we really weren't those kind of guys, it, it, it raised red flags for, for both. It was like, we tried it. I'm, I'm not a, I'm just not that guy.
0: Your wife thought you were cheating or something I because you came in with flowers.
1: <laughs> and we
0: just did it on a whim. It's like, you know, let's stop in the floors. Let's do this. We're going to be good guys. We're going to be good husbands yep. today. Yep. And you got chewed out when you got home because yep. you were up to no good. That's beautiful. I've got I've got a great I've got a great wife in that regard. We like don't do many gifts and things like that. We go out for a great dinner on Valentine's Day, but yeah. we don't really worry about the silliness of it. So that's nice. If you were to write a wildly exaggerated autobiography, what would be the title and the most absurd chapter name? It's a tough. That's a tough wow. one to answer on the spot.
1: Wow, I I'd have to think about that. The wildest chapter would have to probably be like like. First part of senior year of high school. It felt like there was a party every weekend and I was completely off the rails.
0: Was that the uh time your buddy wrapped his car around a pole after smoking dope in the parking lot?
1: Yes, and and I wasn't with him that day, thank God.
0: Nice. So uh maybe something along those lines. We have to get a play on words there. Uh the the title of the book would be like Not Actually That Angry or something? Yeah, maybe something like that. (laughs) No, I tell you what it would be called.
1: And I used to do this because everybody always thinks I'm I'm, I'm negative in, in my sports takes. And I, that's, that's fine. I, the title of the book will be called the realist. I feel like I'm a realist. Uh,
0: actually, that seems pretty you. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean,
1: I, 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 like you asked me about UC basketball and I give you, I think an honest take and UC fans get pissed and that's fine. If you're a fan, I get it, but I've also said good things about them, I and nobody rooted harder for them to get to the uh, college football championship game than I did, I think, because I thought they deserved it. So right. I'm, I'm trying to be real.
0: And uh, that is just not a thing that's taken well in this day no, and No, it's not. It's like it's only not. positivity, only sunshine and rainbows at all times.
1: Humorism.
0: Yep. Uh, all yeah,
1: right. I like, I, it gave me the realist. I like it.
0: I like that. All right. Well, well, we'll work on that autobiography here in the next few years. Well, I'm sure that'll come out in late 2028. And I'll call uh, it, the Wildest
1: Chatter be called the McDonald's years.
0: The McDonald's years. The L- Latonia McDonald's parking lot, baby. Yes,
1: correct. Correct.
0: Who are the biggest divas in local newscasts, anchors, weather people, sportscasters, investigative reporters, et cetera? Yes. So does this person want a specific name or do they want just like which type of people?
1: You're, you're around them closer than I am. Um, it's
0: anchors without question.
1: Yeah. But, I, but I've worked, I mean, we've also worked with some that are down to earth, really cool people. I mean, there are no better people than the morning people on, on local 12 to me. They're all 100%. The way, I was just Herzog, say Jen Dalton, Aaliyah. Uh, John Lomax back in the day, um, Tara Blake, all those people in the morning on the morning show, I I think come off as very real. I think that's why they're so likable. Um, And and honestly, they're 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 good people.
0: Yeah, I I was just going to say that I wouldn't I wouldn't know anything about working with Diva anchors because I truly worked with maybe the most impressive people I've ever been around in my entire life on the morning show with anchors. I mean, like Sheila Gray is no no joke. The most talented person I've ever seen in media. She's really that good. Bob's damn close yeah and then bob's way up there too to- they do it totally different styles but they are both insanely talented and great great people um really really kind to me so to be clear that's not who i'm talking about but i would say anchors you probably have your m- more divas in there than than anything um whether people are all big nerds from what i've gathered like they <laughs> all really know, like to nerd out about but I like, I
1: like, I, I, listen if i, like I had cool to do people, my career, yeah. i told totally, if i had to do my career over again i think i'd, I'd I'd go for a degree in meteorology and be a, be a meteorologist on TV. I, I, am a weather geek.
0: It would be perfect for you too, because you're misunderstood with your takes in sports and that's all meteorology is it's just being correct. misunderstood all the whole time. No yeah. one even understands what you're trying to predict. And they just get mad at you because you're wrong all the time. That's in their correct. That's a great you job. You predicted
1: three inches of snow. We got 4.2. Yeah. Yeah. Snowed a little more.
0: <laughs> Thanks chief. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I mean, if you want actual names, that's going to be kind of hard to do here. I, yeah, think. I mean, okay. from
1: where we work, I mean, I, I honestly, I, 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 I like them all.
0: Yeah, we don't have any real big divas at Channel Twelve. I don't feel definitely none that are there now. Currently, yeah, I,
1: go, I, I go back to the long time that Rob, Braun and Cami Durkin did it when I was anchoring some sports. They couldn't have been better to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even around the city. Like, I mean, I would say the, the people that end up being the biggest divas are usually the people that are here and gone quickly. Like, you yes. don't see them last yeah. in Cincinnati at all because no one gets along with them. They don't talk to anyone. They don't, like, you can tell. You'll, you'll, you see the tweets and the camaraderie and the groups, the clicks hanging out at games and stuff. Like, if they're not part of that group, chances are they won't be here long and they're probably right. a little bit of a diva.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things about this marketplace. We like our own. They don't have to be local people per se, but we like our own who have been here for years and get used to them
0: yeah yeah sorry it's not I mean when you give us like who do you want to punch in the face the most from local media we can give you a funny well, answer Jeremy Rout you know. knows it's
1: him he, yeah, he knows right. it's him I mean he knows exactly it.
0: it's JR uh, but it. if, if you actually like we got to call people divas I don't know that's gonna be tough that's kind of like a, a weird insult to put on people so sorry sorry if that wasn't a great answer that's all I got
1: that's all I got appreciate it very much thanks for being with us we'll be back next week as we get set for the Super Bowl much more college basketballs conference actions heating up and more join us next week On the Skinny Podcast, for Rick Roying, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been sponsored by Blake, the attorney man.